to this week in sparkling water. My name is Joachim Eriksson, and I'm the host of This Week in Sparkling Water. This is episode 105. I have a feeling already like I've made a mistake, like I've made a mistake in what I've said so far, but I think I just always live my life with a feeling like I made a mistake. But that feeling is not grounded in reality. I don't think I've made a mistake. <clears throat> I have a feeling like I'm back because multiple episodes. I haven't even <clears throat> been doing it right. Last episode was real short. Couldn't think of anything to say. But we have a good flight of water for this episode that we're going to get to in a sec. So I was at in Roseville yesterday at the mall. The Galleria is the name of the mall, which is so funny because that's the name of malls everywhere. Galleria. Nova Lund. That's the name of the mall where, where I'm from. That's what my mom always calls it. Emporia. That's the new one in Malmo that they built like less than 10 years ago. Can't believe they still build malls in Sweden. But anyway, they build malls because you can't buy pants on the internet. Because you got you to gotta know how those things fit, you know? And the frustrating thing is... <laughs> God, which part of this story am I going to say first? No, here's the thing. So I'm at the mall yesterday. And I'm walking through the mall. And this fella locks eyes with me. I'm alone at the mall an hour from my house, right? And I don't know anyone there. And this guy locks eyes with me and he's walking straight towards me, looking me dead in the eye. And he raises his hand and he waves at me. And my whole body, I have to tense up and focus and be like, do not react. This is not real. This man is not waving at you. And I had to focus my entire body and my entire being, like every fiber and every muscle, had to be completely tensed up to not react and to not wave back and to not nod and to not look at him weird and to not do anything. Just walk. Just stay on stay on course. Stay on target, like they say in that Star Wars movie. I was thinking about that yesterday for some reason. Like there's this, <clears throat> I don't know, there's this scene in Star Wars where they're flying through space and stuff. And the actual, I was thinking about how they filmed that scene because it's like super basic, the whole thing. You've basically taken, you've taken someone's face and zoomed in on someone's face and you've put like a really dinky looking helmet on them. And there's like no background almost. Like the background is this random gray techie stuff to imply that you're sitting in a spaceship. And then they shoot, they show footage outside of the spaceships and then, <clears throat> it's just a space sky with stars everywhere and little ships flying back and forth against the backdrop of space. And then this one guy is like, stay on target. And he's like, really, um, it's very dramatic. Like to anyone who's 11 years old, 12 years old, that kind of thing, the stay on target scene when he repeats the phrase stay on target and he says it louder and louder because it's super important that Luke Skywalker does a thing or something, stays on target. I don't even remember what it means, but it's like a, such a dramatic scene with such simple words and such simple visuals. 
like it, I, I, it cannot have been very expensive on the face of it to shoot that scene because it's just a tiny little model spaceship against the space backdrop or zoomed in on a guy's face. He's not even a skinny man. He's an overweight man. The guy who's saying the words. And I don't know. I think my um, podcast is getting very fat phobic. I was just going to say that it must be more affordable to hire an overweight actor than a skinny actor. But I don't need the podcast to be so fat phobic. It's been very fat phobic in the last few episodes, people are telling me. But I also don't think that's true because when I went to Kendrick Lamar, I was in my head flirting with the idea of flirting with a with a gal that I referred to as Chunky, and then I got some feedback on that. But it's like I was into her, so I don't know. I don't think the podcast is fatphobic, but if it comes off as fatphobic, then I would like to apologize, because I don't mean for it to be that, and I'm sorry. And it matters how it comes off. Anyway, so... I'm walking through the Roseville Galleria Mall. This guy looks me dead in the eye and waves at me. And I tense up and I just keep walking and I don't react and I don't look at him. And I just walk and I just walk and I'm like, he's not waving at me. Do not react. Do not react. And it was so hard to not react. And then after a few seconds of him walking straight at me, it was like some guy behind me was like, oh, hey, Johnny. And they greeted each other and it was clear that he was waving at someone immediately behind me, you know? And I felt this rush of success. Like I didn't wave back because when you wave back, you have humiliated yourself. And I didn't. And it's it's a wonderful thing. And I did it good. I just felt so good. And then I was like just walking all, just such a loose, nice feeling in me walking around after after the man after the man and me didn't humiliate each other and i'm walking around and was feeling so good being alone in the mall all anonymous not humiliated and then i'm walking around and then in the distance i just see sarah from the front desk at holbrook big old redhead i mean now it's like i was saying Sarah is not skinny. No, her head of hair is is has a lot of volume and is bright red. Um, <clears throat> and I'm walking towards her and she's walking towards me and I'm looking at her and I'm like, this looks like Sarah. But in my head, I'm like, is this the same thing again? Like, am I going to wave at this person and it's a stranger? Like, am I going to have the same, am I going to face the same challenge two two the same trap two times in five minutes like what's going on here am i going to wave at this person then it's not sarah and i'm i'm humiliated i just i was just in this situation can we can someone give me a break please so i wait a really long time and i get really close to sarah before i'm like hey sarah (laughs) and it was sarah so funny Also, hashtag loneliness crisis. Sarah is alone at the mall. Me, I'm alone at the mall. We're both just like no friends walking around in the mall. So good. (laughs) It made me feel good though. Even though, even though I didn't hang out with Sarah or nothing, you know. Just said hi to her. Did a little bit of small talk. 
She was going into some skater girl store, and I am not going into a skater girl store. So, uh, <clears throat> all good, you know? Ma- but made me feel good that I that I have friends and that I can bump into people and I can say hi to them, you know? Acquaintances, coworkers. And I mean, look, I love Sarah. Like, yeah, Sarah's great. I have a strong desire to look out for Sarah, to take care of her. Um... Yeah. But in my head, I, I saw her and I was like, is this the same guy? And now he looks like Sarah? That's honestly what my fucked up paranoid mind, the question posed in my mind was, is this this is this a mirage, you know? Yeah. But I was in Roseville to return some clothes. It's so annoying, like... I drive an hour to Zara to buy a pair of pants just because I want to try them on. Like, you can buy them on the internet, but I don't want to buy them on the internet, so I drive an hour, spend like $30 worth of gas to try them on. And when I get there, they're changing the dressing room, whatever. What is it called in English? Changing room or dressing room? Uh, Anyway, the spot, the place where you, the little booth where you try them on. It's closed, right? It's always closed because I'm there after 6 p.m. And there's a little sign that says the dressing rooms close at 6 p.m. So this time, a month ago, I make a very deliberate effort to be there way before 6 p.m. Because the changing rooms apparently close at 6 p.m. So I'm there at 4 p.m. And then the changing rooms are closed anyway. And I asked the guy like, hey, why, why are they closed? And he's like, yeah, we're understaffed. And it's like, bro, I drive down here an hour. <sighs> and it's, and last time it's because it's after 6 p.m. And now it's before 6 p.m. And I'm here and they're still closed. So I buy these pair of pants and I can't, tr- I can't try them on. And he's like, yeah, you, well, you can return them. You know, if they don't fit, you can return them. And it's like such an annoying answer because, yeah. So then I go next door to Banana Republic and I grab a shirt and I go in the dressing room and I try on my Zara pants in the Banana Republic dressing room um, and I'm about to like try them on and then return them if they don't fit. And then they seem to fit. So I buy a Banana Republic shirt for $100 and I go home with my $100 worth of Zara pants. And then I try them on at the house and they don't fit anymore. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck? <laughs> so then yesterday I had to drive down again to return them. So, you know, you can't win. You can't win in this world. You can't win. I don't know. And then still, yesterday I'm returning these pants and I have this block, this mental block about returning clothes. It just feels like such a shameful act. Like... Like I'm a scammer. But I'm not, though. It's you guys' fault. Because your dressing room is always closed. Yeah, like um, a few... Last week I bought a shirt. I'm buying a little bit of new clothes because of the promotion. I have to dress a little bit different. So I, I felt like I'll take this as an opportunity to... I make a little bit more money. 
I dress a little bit different. I'm going to take this as an opportunity to update my wardrobe a little bit, which is a little bit experimental, which includes a lot of returning clothes because I don't, it's hard to get it right on the first go. So um, last week I buy a shirt three doors down from where I work at this like fancy little store there. And it was like a split second decision to just buy this $100 shirt. And then I want to return it. But he offered, he was like, hey, you want a receipt when I bought it? And I want to be a cool guy. So I'm like, nah, I don't need a receipt. And he didn't give me a receipt. So now I have to go back there and be like, I don't have a receipt, but I want to return this. It just doesn't go in my outfit. And I feel so bad that I'm actually going to not ask for my money back. I'm going to ask for store credit and be like, I want to support you guys. This shirt just doesn't go in my, I don't know. <clears throat> Let's drink a water. So uh, this is a tepache, fermented beverage of Mexico. Mango chili. Look, I'm literally going to go into work tomorrow, and I'm going to take this $90 shirt that I... Look, if a shirt is $90, I want to love it. You know, spending... Because it's, it's $90 plus tax, so you know, it's a $100 shirt. So if I spend 100 bucks on a shirt, I want to love it, and I don't. So sue me. So tomorrow, I'm going to bring it into work. I'm going to give it to Noah. I'm going to be like, hey, no, I have a mission for you. I'm going to give you 20 bucks. You're going to go into the store. You're going to return the shirt for me. Because I can't face the, sh the, the shame of going in there and returning the shirt. I don't know. I, it's so funny, like, that my association with people who return clothes is like women. It's, it's like big girl in the city, you know? Girl trying to make it in the big city. Big girl in the city? Am I talking about chunky women again? Big girl in small town. Yeah. Am I talking... Is this the the broken food system and overweight Americans? Am I talking about overweight Americans? Um, I remember this one time when I was probably something like... It's two memories, actually, globbed together. I was hanging out with my friend. I was hanging out with my friend, some girl, I can't remember who, and we were walking around. Basically, she was shopping and I was walking around with her and she was returning a pair of boots. And we walk up to the register. She hands her the boots. She's like, yeah, I didn't like these. They didn't fit so good. And the cashier lady takes the boots, looks at them, you know, look front and back and then turns them upside down and looks at the sole of the boot. And the cashier lady is like, did you wear them? Like, did you wear them out? And she's like, nah, I just tried them on at my house. And she looks at the boot. And, uh, <laughs> and the cashier lady is like, so there's a rock wedged into the sole of this boot here. Like a rock from the, like a little stone stuck on the bottom of the shoe. So like you walked around with it outside, right? No, she didn't say it. It was all implied. She's like, there's a rock here. That's like, she just said it in, she said it in Swedish, first of all. So I'm not paraphrasing, I'm translating. But I'm doing paraphrasing and translating. But so <laughs> she just said one thing. And then it's such a like battle of wills. And, and my friend was like, just said like a thing. Like she was like, yeah. I don't know what that's about. I walked around with them just at the house indoors. And then there's just silence. 
You know, and if you're nervous, you don't stop talking. That's the thing about life. If you're nervous, you just keep talking nervously. But the powerful thing is to stop talking. It's powerful to not talk. And it's easy to keep talking. That's how life is for, for me. So in this situation, I would have just kept talking. I would have been like, yeah, I didn't work. Nervously. And the more I talk, the more I just am being dominated by the silence of the other person. And the more I'm giving the other person an opportunity to regroup and to assemble an impenetrable one-sentence statement of being like, yes, we can't return this because of the policy with this. And, and because if you structure, like if you have a moment to structure a well-structured, unarguable, waterproof sentence, foolproof, idiot-proof sentence, then then that's it. But if you just are talking with a sort of flow, then each sentence will have little gaps and, and little holes that you could argue with. And also the more you say, the more there is to argue with. And if you just say the policy is no, you know, if you just say something short, that makes it more inarguable. So my friend just said, the, the cashier lady just said one sentence, like there's a rock here. And then my friend was like, yeah, I don't know what that's about. I just walked around at the house. And then that was it. And then there was this like deafening silence. And me, I'm off to the side. Like I found the silence so difficult that I barely could be quiet. And I wanted to break in just to break the silence, just to like, I wanted to pay for the shoes because I couldn't deal with these two women trying to dominate each other with silence. And it worked. My friend just was silent, didn't say anything more, didn't try to excuse it more, didn't try to come up with any more explanations. And because my friend stayed silent, she got her money back, even though she clearly scammed the fuck out of this store and had clearly bought these shoes, worn them probably multiple days, you know, walking around outside in the world with these shoes. And then it's like, nah, I'll just have my thousand kroner back. You know, bring him back to the store, return the boots. And here's the thing. That was me yesterday. I go to Zara. I returned a pair of pants. And here's the thing. Those pants weren't clean. I had worn them. I had taken all the labels off. And I had worked an entire shift wearing these pants. Like, it feels like such a scam. How is that allowed? <laughs> it's crazy. I worked an entire shift with these pants. And I was the whole time I was like, these pants aren't, like, this is not giving me the outline that I want. Because I want really skinny pants. I love skinny pants. I've always loved skinny pants. And I Googled it. And apparently two years ago, a style expert at the New York Times, or no, Levi's announced the death of skinny pants. So now you're supposed to do baggy pants and skinny tops. And here's what I got to say about that. Hey, I disagree. That's it. Silence. Nothing for you to argue about. I disagree. That's it. If I just say, I disagree, there's nothing for you to argue with. So anyway, I returned a pair of pants yesterday that had been, uh, <clears throat> that I'd worn, and she gave me my money back. I got my 90 bucks back. And then also, um, here's the other memory that it's so like, the, the memory of hanging out with my friend in Sweden and her returning the boots, it's a very stressful, annoying memory that really like uh, stressed me the fuck out. Because it's these like quiet Swedes just hating each other. It's a memory of just 
quiet conflict and pressure and discomfort. All the things I associate with Sweden. Just like it's snowy outside and life sucks. And then there's another memory from the same, I think it's from the same pedestrian street in Lund. Skumakagatan, whatever it's called, who knows. Fucking Lila Fiskargatan, that's what it's called actually. Little Fisherman Street, so good. There's also Big Fisherman Street. I think they're both pedestrian streets with little shops on them. Anyway, so we go into a different shop and buy something. And then one of us, I think it was me actually, an hour later just realizes that I don't have my card. Like I bought something with my card, my debit card, because we don't have credit cards in Sweden. Um, And so I go back and the whole time I'm realizing that they took my card because it's not like I put my card in the machine. They take my card and put the card in the machine. And then they just never gave my card back. And then I remember that it was, wait, what was the phrase used? The phrase was that I walk into the store. The thing was that I walk into the store and I immediately apologize. And the lady forgives me. That's the exchange. She says some sort of phrase like, that's okay. That's not a problem. And the whole, I'm standing there like, bro, I, it left me with so such a burning sensation of annoyance because I didn't make a mistake and I shouldn't have apologized. And when I apologized, I'm just over-apologizing. And I wanted her to say, no, no, don't apologize. I made the mistake. I never gave you your card back. And she never said that. Instead, she says it's like, oh, it's okay. I forgive you. And it's like, lady, what do you mean no problem? I had to come all the way back here because you didn't give me my card back. And it left me with such a big, annoyed feeling of how I was too much of a pushover. And that's why I left Sweden. And that's why I'm never going to live in Sweden again. Now let's drink this water that I was going to drink. So the brand is called De La Calle. It's a tepache fermented beverage of Mexico. The flavor is mango chili. Picante is what it says there, which I don't know. But if I had to guess, like just not having studied any languages, just going gut feeling, I feel like picante means savory. You know? What does picante mean in Spanish? Spicy. Okay, well, I mean, hey, close enough. Mango chili. Ooh, that's very cool. That is very cool. Mango chili tepache. Maybe we should turn our tepache at work into a mango chili thing. It's my first thought drinking this because this is wonderful. Light fizz, light mango. No, light fizz, medium mango flavor, very light chili flavor, not spicy at all. Such a bitch move calling that spicy. I love how much ego there is involved in spiciness. It's like one of, it's actually, I don't know if I'm ready to talk about it. I don't have a thought about it, but it's like, Somehow, just in the last week, I've been in 10 different situations where people have such a competitive attitude towards spicy food. Anyway, um, what else is going on? 
So I moved up north, right? Um, I live in North San Juan. It's um, tweaker country, meaning that a lot of people around here do meth. That's their uh, reputation. And then people, like people in Grass Valley have this idea about the little towns around Grass Valley that they're all super tweakered out. But what I'm realizing though, I, it's really a puzzle trying to figure different places out. It's a puzzle and my opinions of these different places is constantly evolving. And what I'm realizing though is that people in Grass Valley in Nevada City are really um, blind to how all of America is tweakered out and they just happen to live in the little exception town. Like, try going even further north. Try going to Oregon House or Brownsville or Chico or any of the other... Like, try going to any inland city, you know? Try going to Stockton and see how you feel, you know? Pack pack swimming... Pack some swimming trunks and a a bulletproof vest. But anyway, so it's tweakered out and it's, it's, it's kind of just rural and poor. It's maybe words you could throw around. But so I'm in here and I have a lot of trash and I have to go to the dump. I have to go to the landfill. I have to get rid of some trash. Waste management. It's got a lot of different names. Oh, I, there, I, I've, ranted about this many times before but there are certain things in the world that just are bad and we're always going to think of them as bad and so whatever we call them whatever word we use for them after a certain while that word is going to feel really bad and then so because the word feels bad we're going to change the word now because it feels like the word is bad but then it's it doesn't matter because now we change it to a new word and then give it 10 years and now not, now that new word is going to feel bad to us. So now we're going to have to change it again. Like anything with like handicaps, anything with mental or physical handicaps, whatever word we use for it, once that becomes the phrase, the thing is just that a handicap is just something that feels bad to people. So we're just going to end up whatever word we use, it's just going to have a a bad feeling associated after a while. And it's like, I don't know. I find that so interesting because it's, it's like really true that we need to be inclusive and take care of everyone and speak respectfully of everyone and try to respect everyone. But it's also, there's also this weird, we have this weird way of accusing the culture writ large of being some somehow morally flawed for just like feeling bad about things that feel bad. And it's really not any anyone's fault that certain things feel bad. I did, I'm having I'm saying this in such an abstract way, but like there are many things like I find it fascinating how every 10 years we changed what we call flight attendants. Because it's just this thing where those people want to respect themselves a whole bunch, but people have this kind of dismissive attitude towards them, like they're just a little servant. So because people, the people who work that role have this feeling like, I feel like they're being a little bit dismissive with this term, stewardess, flight attendant, whatever. So it feels a little bit bad. So I want to change the term. And then you give it 10 years and now the new term is associated with this sort of like dismissive servant attitude. So now they change the term again as if changing the term does anything. 
and it's really like, I don't know. This is really something I could argue with Marissa about for a long time. So in this case, in every language I know, we end up changing what the people who pick up the trash are called. You know, the garbage collectors. But so in America, the euphemistic term that was the term for a long time recently in California is waste management. It called itself waste management. And waste management is already a euphemistic term that's probably like 20 years old. And before that, it was the fucking garbage man. But garbage man feels bad, so we changed it to waste management. And then now, in the last year, they decided that waste management feels bad. It has a bad feeling. So they changed it to WM. And it's no longer waste management. It's like an acronym that doesn't stand for anything, which is in itself a fascinating concept. The concept of KFC not standing for Kentucky Fried Chicken because it is not from Kentucky. It is not fried. It is microwaved. And it is not chicken. It is all filler. You know, we don't know which of the three words it isn't. But it is not Kentucky and fried and chicken. So KFC no longer stands for Kentucky Fried Chicken, and WM no longer stands for Waste Management. So anyway, I'm living up here in North San Juan, and I got to go to WM, which is what it's now called. And then 10 years from now, WM, it's just going to feel a little bit dismissive and bad. It's just going to have a bad feeling around it. So they're going to have to change it from WM to something else, you know? To something that probably ends in the word technician. Um, so I, when I moved in here, my land, my land, I almost said landlordy, which is a mix of landlord and landlady. My landlordy was like, um, waste management is just around the corner. The dump is just around the corner. And first of all, that's an, a hilarious thing to say because we're in the woods and there are no corners. We live on a windy dirt road and there are definitely no corners. Like there are no angles in the forest. So you can't say it's around the corner. It is like two hunter-gatherers on the Serengeti pointing and saying, did you see that antelope? three blocks down that way, you know? You're on the Serengeti, stop talking about blocks, you know? So anyway, landlady's like, um, waste management is just around the corner, which sounds good to me. I like the idea of just being quickly, getting rid of trash, not being an enormous fucking task. You know, I, I don't have the mental bandwidth for it to be a big drive, so good. Because um, we don't have garbage pickup. So when I have enough trash, I put it in the GPS and I, and I start driving. And it's really like three minutes from my house. Awesome. And then when I get closer, I'm, I'm worried about it, though. I'm worried about it because I just feel like I'm already in Tweaker Town and the dump is, is going to be weird. Um, so I get close and I see this like toothless old man with a sled that he has constructed out of trash. I'm not at the dump yet, but I already see this thing. And I just, he's like, 
He has hair in all the wrong places on his body. He has no teeth. He's pulling a sled made out of garbage to transport garbage. And the garbage is his belongings. So we're not doing good. Like, this is a man who... Life didn't work out for him. I feel bad for him. You know, things are not good around here, you know? And I'm not even at the dump yet. And it, it's a very Mad Max-looking scene, but maybe, hey, maybe we can expect Mad Max aesthetics because if anything in America looks like Mad Max, it's the dump, you know? It's the landfill where there's just, you just want to go scavenging because it's literally, they do this, the system in America is just on the ground, they keep piles of garbage. Also, there's this weird, I was saying this to Maddie yesterday, there's this weird thing of how in every other language, there's like a word for trash or garbage. And then the concept of recycling is like a subcategory of trash, where you're always trying to recycle as much trash as possible. That's like how the language around refuse works in uh, all the other languages I know, where it's like, there's a word for things you throw away. And then there's this um, subcategory of, well, and the things we throw away, we should try to have as much of those materials be recycled, be they plastic or glass or cardboard or, you know, biofuel or composty stuff or maybe burnable stuff that you can turn into fucking... Like in Sweden, the way we do it is we kind of burn all of our trash, which releases a lot of um, greenhouse emissions. And it's actually kind of not that great, but it it's a way to cheat and make the statistics seem like only 1% of what we throw away ends up in the landfill. But it's really just because we burn it all in power plants and the burning process creates power. And that's how we power. That's how electricity is produced in Sweden mostly. I shouldn't say mostly because it's probably mostly water, hydroelectric power plants. But anyway, the crazy, the weird thing that's always confused the fuck out of me in America is that in America there's trash and then there's this thing of recycling, which is not a part of trash. I remember when I first got a job in America at Blue Star, I would like get in these weird, confusing, almost arguments with people asking me to take the recycling out and then me being like, so where do I put this trash? And then being like, no, don't take the trash out. And I'm holding the recycling and I'm like, oh, you don't want me to take this out? And then them being like, that's recycling. And then I'm being like, yeah, I know. So like, where do you want me to put this trash? And then they're like, it's not trash. And I'm like, okay. And it's like, who's on first, but with trash? And it took me months to figure it out. And it was, for some reason, it was humiliating. You know, I was thinking about this yesterday. This is a totally unformed thought, what I'm going to say here. But I was thinking about how at multiple times in my life, I like went to a new place, like moving to Shanghai and hanging out with Americans or moving to Beijing and hanging out with Chinese people or moving to America and hanging out with the working poor. And at all of those times, I just had this attitude of like putting my... Um, I don't want to say pride, but just putting putting my ego in the back seat and just asking stupid questions in a rapid fire way. I would just ask stupid questions and people would make fun of me the whole time. 
for asking stupid questions. But and and I could sort of figure out the answers to some of those questions myself, but it was faster to just ask tons of questions to get tons of quick answers. And like, what is this? What is this called? What do we do with this? How, where do we go with this? And I would just, in a rapid fire way, ask questions. And then I realized that, I was thinking about it yesterday and I was thinking back on it and I was thinking about that sort of like vague sense of humiliation you live with in the beginning and I was thinking about how that is actual integration. Like that is what integration is. Because we have this, I don't know, it's like more, somehow it's more a conversation in Sweden than in America. But in Sweden, politics, so much of politics and political conversations and what political candidates are trying to talk about in debates and the debate they're trying to win is about integration. Because Sweden is a small country and we take a lot of immigrants and you have to integrate them into Swedish society. And in America, it's just different. There's just like a more powerful main culture. And America is just more okay with having subgroups of people that stick to themselves and they can be integrated into the economy. Like they buy things from the mainstream culture, but they're not so much part of a mainstream culture. Like you can just be okay with a city like Sacramento having entire neighborhoods in the city being just Somali people, people from Somalia, and they speak their own language, their own little Somali dialects, and they eat their own kind of food, and they just have their own little mini economy in the larger economy. And they're not really integrated. And it's just okay because America feels less threatened. Honestly, like, sure, people on the right feel threatened as fuck, but in a way, I feel like the thesis for people on the left is that people feel a little bit less threatened, whereas in Sweden, you cannot, and it was actually interesting how a, the Swedish prime minister, I think, a couple of weeks ago just said in an interview, we don't want Chinatowns in Sweden. And it was such a weird... um it, it it created this weird Twitter firestorm of people like being like, dude, Chinatowns are not a symbol of a of a fa- a symbol of a failure. Chinatowns are not like places that are full of crime and negative social habits or whatever. Chinatowns are just these places where people choose to not integrate, but they have their own thing going and it's peaceful, and they are still part of the larger economy. Things are purchased back and forth, but they have their own stuff going on and their own languages. And it really raised this question of like, do we want Chinatowns? But I um, I was, the trash conversation made me think about this because really, if you want people to integrate, like if you want this like Somali taxi driver, Uber driver, if you want the Somali Uber driver to integrate, really what you need is for him to live in three years of being slightly humiliated all the time by asking a bunch of stupid questions. And it's kind of a, it's kind of a steep barrier to entry, actually. It's kind of a lot easier to just bring your whole family over here and not integrate and just chill and do things your way instead of doing this thing of like, so how much do I tip here? Like all the soft culture around everything. It's kind of easier to just be a Somali guy and just do your own thing and not give a fuck what people think about you and tip 3%, you know? 
And you're not going to believe this, but hey, I don't actually put any value. There's, that's not a value statement. I have no moral opinion on tipping 3%. I completely recognize it for what it is, that it's just like moral relativism, cultural subjectivism. There are places in the world where people don't tip. My mama doesn't tip. You know? My daddy's about to turn 70. He's probably hasn't tipped more than 15% on anything his entire life because he's never tipped by being in Sweden. And the three times he's been on vacation and had to tip, he, he probably never tipped more than 10% on anything, you know? He lived an entire life without ever, you know, really sinking his teeth into that fucking cultural trope. Um, but, um, yeah, I think... And I don't know why, but for some reason, I always had this fascination with trying to integrate. So I just integrated myself multiple times into things that I wasn't even going to stay in, you know, like me just hanging out with Chinese people in Beijing for a couple of years, just asking stupid questions for a couple of years until I really know how we do things and how we feel about things and what the feeling is and how are you cool? Because the, the weird thing is that there's this amorphous really squishy abstract concept at the end of the tunnel about being cool and every concept has it, every culture has it of like there's a way to just know what's going on and to just go with it and be cool the whole time and at no point are you lost and you're integrated and being integrated is the same as being cool it's just you're cool you know you're just one of the guys and you're chilling and you keep you 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 can predict what's going to happen next because you've seen it before and you've asked questions about it and and you know it either either you excuse me a little mango chili burp there um either you grew up in it or you asked a bunch of questions for your three first 3 years in it and now you're cool and it's like and people who lived in one place and grew up in one place and just are in one thing and have never passed through the cell membrane of a culture, this sort of um, um, permeable, semi-permeable walls of a culture, people who have never passed from one cell to another don't see this because it's all invisible to you if you've only seen one thing and now i sound like a huge pretentious asshole who's like oh yes i'm so cool i'm so cool but i'm not so cool i'm just describing something if you've only ever been cool in one culture all of all of it is invisible to you and when you see a foreigner not being cool in your culture you see that differently than how I see it. Because really, to me, it's just that person is just hasn't spent three years asking questions all the time about how we do stuff. And um, I don't know what the answer is. Like, it might be a waste of time trying to be cool. Maybe we should just do our own thing. But really... Figuring out a culture and living in a culture and being comfortable is, there's a payoff. It's comfortable. There's a comfort to it also. 
And some people integrate it. And it's not just white people. I remember Eric Bunn, my old Vietnamese boss in, in Seattle who started all those Babar restaurants and Monsoon and the Bun Mi place and just successful restaurateur made a fucking ton of money and, and, and he, he was, he grew up in Vietnam, the war hit, he was a refugee, he was in a refugee camp, you know, I talked, he, I interviewed him on my podcast and we talked about it briefly, but it always struck me how he still had an accent, he still, there was still shit about him that were sing cultural signifiers that he was a foreigner, but he was cool. And then he had these subordinates that were less localized subordinates, that, and and it's and they were not cool, but he was cool. He was integrated. Like he drove a Tesla and he dressed real cool, and he had these like artsy, like really cool, thick frame prescription sunglasses, uh, not sunglasses, prescription glasses. He just wore cool glasses that looked like he went to fucking designer school in a big city in America. And he was just part of the liberal cultural elite in a cultural squishy sense. And then he had these subordinates that dressed in Adidas tracksuits. And their language was worse and everything about the cultural signifiers of them was worse. But I don't know. There's something very comfortable in having having entered a new culture and suffered the humiliation of not being cool at first and making the mistakes at first and then being cool. There's something so pleasant. And I like yesterday, I was <clears throat> leaving the UPS store. I picked up some packages and there was this guy and I'm like looking around and it's, kind of hot out and I'm a little bit dazed and I'm looking around and I look at this one guy and I my I my, I just lingered on him a, a microsecond too long which is a sort of overly assertive thing to do to like really look at someone in the eye and not look away and so I looked one second too long and he was like hey and he he asked me like hey how you doing and then if I was in my first three years of being in America, I wouldn't know how to respond. But I just had this way of, oh God, this is so fucking squishy and hard to explain. And any American that hears this will not understand it. But it's like, Swedish people don't fucking talk to each other, okay? So we don't say that. So that was this is like a learned behavior for me that I had to learn hard, the hard way, by failing many times. And then I was just like, I just said, he asked some longer phrase of how I was doing. And then I just said some completely rote learning, memorized phrase of being like, hey, how are you? And then I kept walking and I noticed in myself that my pulse did not go up when we had that interaction. And that's like new to me. Because normally in Sweden, we don't say hi to each other. So when I came to America and people would like, strangers on the street would just say a phrase to me, my my blood pressure, my heart rate would just go up. Because I'd be like, what the fuck is going on here? And then now I have this like integrated way of having learned the behavior that it doesn't have to mean anything. You know? 
some black guy just says hi to you on the street and you just say hi to him back and saying hi in this in this context is actually saying like a full sentence anyway i don't know i don't feel great about that i don't feel like that was a fully formed thought what i just said but that's what that was anyway so that was about trash and recycling so i'm going to the dump right that's what i was talking about i'm going to the dump and and um I see this old man with a trash sled and then I get to the dump and it's super Mad Max looking, bro. It's so Mad Max looking. And I, there's like a little tilted shed in the middle of this big open space and they're all just these piles of just rubble. And I slowly drive in there, like driving like nine miles per hour and I'm just slowly driving in and I get to the center of the open space and I just sort of roll to a stop and I'm looking around like for some signage of like, where am I supposed to throw something? Like, is there someone here? And then there's this old man, this craggly old man. He's like, can I help you? And I'm like, yeah, I have a bag of trash. And he's like, that's a stop sign right there. You should have stopped at the stop sign. And he's real accusatory. And I'm like, brother, I didn't see a stop sign. And he's like, well, there used to be a stop sign. And I'm like, bro, I just moved here. I've never been here before. How am I supposed to know that there used to be a stop sign there? Like, what are you talking about? And he's he's mad. He's aggro. He's like, well, I can't. We'll stop next time. Stop at the stop sign. I'm like, dude, you just acknowledged how there's no stop sign. Like, and he's like, well, next time, stop at the stop sign. And I'm like, okay, hey, listen, next time, I'm gonna stop at the stop sign. Okay, aggro, and he's dusty and he's weird and he's like. I don't know, man. America has this way of producing people that. They just, everything about them is like as if they've been to war. But honestly, I don't even think they've been to war. I don't think this man ever, you know, I don't think this man ever left the county. But he has a war-torn quality to him, you know? He has this tattered, you know? Maybe the war on drugs came to his county. So maybe in a way he has been to war. But, so he's aggro as fuck. And he's explaining where I throw the trash and I go and I throw the trash. And he's like, come see me after. Because he, I don't know. So I go over there and and he's like, it's 295 or something crazy like that is what he tells me. And so I take out my credit card from HSBC and I try to give him my credit card. And he's like, cash only. And in my head, I'm like, yeah, okay. In a way, maybe I'm not surprised that you don't have a card reader hooked to a tablet connected to Wi-Fi and that you don't take cards here in your tilted shed in the Mad Max wasteland of all of this. And I had some cash in the car and I gave him three bucks, you know. Wanted to tell him to keep the change, but I actually think it's not a tipping situation and that it's actually kind of rude to be like, keep the change because it's only five cents, you know? Um, yeah. You know, the Mad Max thing reminds me of this. There, I We had this um, 
this could be a very long story, but I don't think it's that interesting, so I'm not going to go all the way into it. But on Sunday, we were going to try to close early because no one came in because the whole town was blanketed in smoke. So no one is leaving the house. No one is going to a restaurant. We were just open, and it was no one. It was dead. So I was texting and asking the boss if I could close early. And then the exact second I do that, first of all, it's a very sensitive thing to ask because I now I'm on salary. So now I'm really supposed to want to maximize everything, but not being paid hourly, you don't want to seem like someone who's trying to go home. Because when I was being paid by hour, it always made sense to me to just be there. If, if we need to be there late, I'll be there late and you'll pay me more. And now that I'm on salary, I'm real sensitive about asking, like, hey, could I go home early today because nothing's going on? Um, so fucking Josh, who first of all started listening to the podcast, it sounds like. So if you're listening to this, Josh, I'm going to tell them the truth. And the truth is that you didn't want to text the boss and ask. <laughs> because, because it's like you don't want to seem like someone who wants to go home early, you know? But here's the thing, Josh. You work too much and you should go home early. Anyway, and then super bad luck, the exact second that I ask if we can maybe just close up shop early, nine reservations for hotel rooms show up in the computer. Suddenly someone has booked nine rooms and they're about to show up and they probably want to eat. So we just have to keep the restaurant open until close for the nine people. And we call them and it's like a huge fucking... It's such an ordeal, the whole thing. I thought I was going to get to leave at 8.30 p.m., but I actually left at 1.30 a.m. I had to stay an extra six hours because these people show up and they order $1,000 worth of food at the exact moment the kitchen is closing. And then they don't even eat the food. They just say, yeah, the people who are going to eat the food are going to show up in a bit. And then three hours later, they still haven't shown up. So we're, it's midnight and we're just sitting. At, it's like literally every worst possible outcome. But hey, also... It worked out in the end, and it's fine, and I don't have a problem with any of those people, and I know one of those guys, his name is Casey, he's a good guy, he speaks Chinese, I speak Chinese, we speak Chinese to each other, and we like to do that, and it's funny, because it's funny to be two white guys speaking Chinese to each other, and we're chilling, you know? And <clears throat> the reason I thought of it is because they had been to Burning Man. They just came from Burning Man. It was part of how, when Burning Man and during Burning Man, business is kind of slow for us, because all the rich people in the area are at Burning Man. But then after Burning Man, we get a little bit of an extra rush because people trickling away from Burning Man kind of pass through and maybe get a room and hang out for a bit. And um, so, yeah, this was part of that. These people have been to Burning Man and it's so, like, burner culture is so interesting. And I could be all judgy like everyone else and shit on it, but actually they were showing these photos. They had they brought out these this big laptop and looking at these photos, and I was looking at the photos with them for a second. And um they were they were the people that were there are like the workers, and they work for these couple of rich people or something. And so the workers were showing <clears throat> these like professionally taken photos from Burning Man of the things that they'd built, vehicles and whatever fucking ad hoc buildings and all this shit. And so they were showing, they were looking at pictures of this one building and, I mean, uh, vehicle. And he was explaining it. It's like the vehicle is, 
It was just like how it was a 100% Mad Max looking vehicle where the frame of the vehicle is this extra large, largest Hummer frame. So it's like a military, all metal, super heavy frame. The whole vehicle costs a quarter of a million dollars. And so on top of this Hummer frame, they've built these, there's these metal rods that stick out that are bent into this like weird ball shape. So it's like a, at the front of the vehicle, there's like a, you know, 15 feet in diameter, weird bent metal ball. And inside of this ball is what they called a cuddle puddle. First of all, anything that rhymes is funny. A cuddle puddle. Such a hippie expression. A cuddle puddle. Because hippies... I don't know, man. There's something about hippies and how they're like... They don't... There's something about it where they don't get... Like... We don't touch each other. Like, if I don't want you to touch my body, don't touch my body. And hippies don't get that. And they just think that you should always just lay down on the floor together and just roll around and be dirty and touch each other in something that's called a cuddle puddle. And just imagine the rich person here that has spent quarter of a million dollars to go to Burning Man to lay down in this weird ball-shaped thing in the front of this vehicle and to put a bunch of blankets and pillows there it's just so you can lay down in the desert basically on a couch and have dusty women with septum piercings lay down next to you and cuddle with you. Like, how interesting is that? I don't know. There's something about it that's interesting to me because it seems inefficient as fuck. Like, if you want physical touch, just figure it out. Just ask for it. Just figure it out. Like, that seems to be the most efficient way. Like, spending a quarter of a million dollars on this vehicle and going out into the desert just to get physical touch just seems incredibly sad and inefficient to me. There's something about this fucking Mad Max vehicle where they've built a cuddle puddle in the front of it that's just so lonely. Hashtag loneliness crisis. Yeah. I don't know. Let's drink another mango. So next one here, it's it's a new brand. I've never done this before. The brand is called Hop Water. I mean, like so many sparkling waters, they've dropped a couple of vowels and kept all the consonants. So it's actually hop, W-T-R, hop water. Mango-flavored, non-alcoholic, sparkling hop water crafted with adaptogens and nootropics. So this is dicey because anything hoppy is reminiscent of beer, and the the path to a relapse can be paved with non-alcoholic beverages that remind you of alcoholic beverages. Let's see if this tastes like a beer, and let's see if I'm going to relapse tonight. Ooh, that does smell hoppy as fuck. That smells sour, and that smells like bad beer. Oh, my God. First of all, it's watery. Much more watery than beer, anything I was expecting. Watery. And light fizz. So it definitely fits our 
definition of sparkling water, so we're good there. Absolutely no mango flavor. Yeah, disappearingly tiny amount of mango in there. Quite hoppy, which when you don't have the round, viscous mouthfeel of beer, hoppiness just tastes dirty. Like if you just take plain water and make it taste hoppy, it just tastes dirty. The reason it works in beer is because it's got this like bready thickness to it where you're, beer is a very savory thing. But then it's also, hoppy and weed is similar. Hops for all. There's something, ashwagandha, there's ashwagandha, L-theanine, Jesus, this is a weird mix. Hops, natural flavors. Yeah. Proudly hopped. We tapped the full power of hops, their crisp, bold taste and calming benefits, and unapologetically pull them out from under the shadow of alcohol. Not sorry, beer. Instead, we team up with another mood-boosting ingredient that helps you hit your goals. Not hide inside with a hangover. So crack open a cold one and cheers to never choosing between having fun or missing out. <sighs> I don't mind that copywriting so much, but... But the flavor doesn't work. That's not good. That's a 3 out of 10. I'm sorry. <clears throat> what else is going on? So I have to go to the bank in a second because one of the most annoying things that's ever happened to me happened yesterday, which is that I don't want to really go into this because I'm not supposed to go into it, but I'm closing down my company and hand in hand with the closing of the company is some almost... I'm going to fight for it, and it's not going to be friendship ending, but it is some friendship ending fighting, like some fighting that looks friendship ending, that goes hand in hand with the failure of a company in a very sort of stereotypical way where you're like, friends try to do a business, and when it, the business doesn't work, it really hurts the friendship, you know? And um, so because of the pain of one half of what I just said, there's actually a big mental, emotional block for me where it's making me making it really hard for me to look at the paperwork of closing the company because the whole thing is now so emotionally painful. So I've been trying to close down this bank account related to the company. And it's been so emotionally hard that I haven't been able to do it. So I've been trying, I, I had on my to-do list for a long time, like call them and close the bank account. And I just couldn't do it. So I was like, Maybe my emotional block, maybe I can get around the block by just going to the bank and in person doing the whole thing. And so I drive to Bank of America yesterday and I sit in the, I, I park and I go into the bank and I see a police car talking to a homeless woman who's just sleeping on the sidewalk, just laying flat on the ground with all of her stuff just all over the ground and it's a very sad scene and the cop goes into the back of his cop car and gets these red plastic bags with the biohazard symbol on them and he gives her all these red plastic bags with the biohazard symbol and he t tells her to put all of her belongings into the plastic bags because she doesn't have a bag so she just has all of her belongings just poured out on the ground 
and there's no way for her to take them and get the fuck out. So he has to give her a plastic bag to be able to do it. And the bag he gives her has the biohazard symbol on it because we have to assume that there's syringes involved. And that's, it's all a very sad scene. So I walk past this very sad scene and I walk into the bank. And as I'm in the bank, there's a long line and I realize this isn't the way to do it. I can't do it like this. I couldn't call them because I have a too big of an emotional mental block. And I can't stand in this line because I have too big of an emotional mental block. But maybe now that I've seen that I can't do it in person, maybe now I can call. So I go in the parking lot and sit in my car watching the man, the police officer, ordering the homeless woman around. And I call Bank of America while sitting in the Bank of America parking lot completely inefficient but it's the only way i could do it and i call and i and i call the business support line whatever contact us america small business department and i call them and i give them my social and i say hey i want to close my bank account and the lady's like okay so it's the bank account ending in blah 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 and i hear that and i'm like let me check and i look at my phone and i'm on the phone with her and i'm in a parking lot and i my, I'm so emotionally blocked and so mentally blocked that I cannot think of a way to check what the account number is. So I pretend to check. I just wait a second and I click my phone and I pretend to check. And then I just say to her, oh, yep, that's the one. And then she closes my bank account. And then I'm like, that wasn't so hard. Thank God. And she's like, yep. So you're the little bit of money that's left in the bank account will be put in a check and mailed to you. And I'm like, okay, I'll be waiting for that check. So then I go about my day, I do everything. And then I wake up this morning and I just like check my budgeting app. And I notice that my, everything is wrong. And I notice that it says that I have literally no money. And I'm refreshing it and my Bank of America personal debit account is not showing up. And in that moment, I realized that the lady didn't check, didn't close my company debit bank account. She closed my personal debit account. And this happened the day after getting paid and all my money. (laughs) I mean, it's like pretty much the most annoying thing that's ever happened to me. And I wake up and it's like, oh. So I call Bank of America and I'm like, look, I called the small business department. I tried to close my company bank account. She closed my personal bank account. Can you reverse it? And I spent five minutes on hold. And then he's like, nope, it's closed. A check has been issued. You're fucked. And I'm like, okay. I'm fucked, I guess. So now I have to go to the bank and open a new bank account. And it's pretty much the most annoying thing ever. It's making me feel really bad. Because it's making me stay even longer in the headspace of all that pain and all that fucked friendship and stuff. So there's that. 
Oh, God. Feels bad. Feels really bad. Feels really bad. And what do we do when we feel really bad? We drink another sparkling water. So this one, it's Crystal Geyser Sparkling Spring Water Natural Pineapple Mango Flavor. You see that? A third water with mango. And that makes us feel better when we find three waters from three different brands that are the same flavor. A proper mango flight. Crystal Geyser. Wow, that tastes like metal. Mmm. That tastes like if I pour water into my metal water bottle and then leave it in my hot car for a few days and then take a sip off of this uh, fucking car warm hot metal water. Mmm. Crystal geyser. That didn't work very well, huh? Should you go back to the drawing board maybe on the old on the old pineapple mango flavor? Probably should, huh? Cuz that's a 1 out of 10. That's a 1 out of 10, bud. That's terrible. That's worse than the hop water. That's not good at all. Okay, so I've already talked about how I live in this little cottage in the middle of the forest and sometimes I sit on my computer and and uh, look out the glass doors and I just see little raccoons just sitting on my stoop, just four of them just looking into my house. Most terrifying thing ever. And then other times I've also already mentioned, and not even just mentioned secondhand, one time, I think, two episodes ago or something, I was recording in the middle of the night and suddenly there's just like a huge animal fight. And it happens, dude. It happens all the time. It's like there's all these outdoor cats and people's outdoor dogs that they just like keep off leash on the property and they and then there's mountain lions and bears and raccoons and skunks and and it's just you you end up with these animal fights right outside of my house and it's like 3 on 3 and 2 on 2 it's like two pit bulls versus five raccoons it's like you hear all these different types of animal growling and then all these different types of animal barking and then all these different types of animal whimpering. And it feels fucked up. It reminds me of the Instagram account Nature is Metal where you just watch different animals killing each other all day. Awful. But so I'm checking in with Javi because he knows the area and I'm checking in with him and I'm like, should I be afraid like at night? Like can any of this, what should I worry about here? Because I moved in here and I'm walking around outside fucking tidying up around my house in the middle of the night with headphones on, completely unaware of my surroundings. And I shouldn't do that because the bear will get me. Um, And De- Javi tells me not what I want to hear. He tells me, yeah, there's a mountain lion in the neighborhood. And there's more wildlife around here than just in a forest, in an actual unhabitated forest because of all of our human trash. So there's tons of wildlife right here in the neighborhood. I didn't even know we call this a neighborhood because I live on a windy dirt road in the middle of nowhere. But he's like, there's a mountain lion. Watch out at dusk because there's this thing right at dusk where eyes don't work very well when it starts to get dark and everything starts to shake and you can't see very well. And the mountain lion likes to take advantage of that. So the mountain lion is very active around dusk. So I'm like... Okay, that's fucking terrifying. So I'm fearful. And then, you know, 
on a on a related note, there's like a weird blonde cat that thinks it lives at my house. I don't remember if I've mentioned this before, but there's this cat that's always like knocking on my door and trying to open the door handle and trying to get into my house. And it's gotten in here once or twice. And then I've noticed that it's actually a really dirty cat. So I don't let it in here anymore. But it's frequently when I come home from work, it like shows up at my door at midnight and it's like meowing and it wants to get in and say hi. And then, you know, a couple of days ago, two days ago, I am going to take the trash out and I'm listening to a podcast and I have this trash bag in my hand and I'm really focused on it because it's like a compostable trash bag. So it's really thin and it's going to break and it's, there's a bunch of gross composty liquid in there and insects and the whole thing is gross. And I'm carrying it. Wow, there's a hummingbird right outside of my window. And I'm carrying this gross bag. And I'm carrying it to the door. And I'm trying to make sure that it doesn't drip on anything and that there's no hole. And then I slide the door open. And then I see an animal right outside of my door. And I'm like two feet away from this animal. And I just scream out in fear and throw the trash bag at the animal and close the door. And then I realize it's just a little house cat that tries to get in. And I accidentally threw this bag of trash right in the face of this cat. And ever since this cat that shows up every night and wants to get in, this cat has never come back. And I guess it answers the question of, do cats have memory? Because this cat learned, this cat like developed an interpretation of what happened there. And the interpretation is that I don't want the cat. And the cat thinks that, the cat doesn't know that it just startled me. The cat thinks I want it to not come back. I don't know. Whatever. I think we have to go now. I have to go to Bank of America before they close. Uh, Love you guys. Thank you for listening.